Um, all right, all right. So I think uh, some weeks ago, or maybe months ago, Bryn asked me to uh, write something about what I was going to say. And I came up with these questions. But to be honest, the last couple of weeks, every time I've looked at these questions, I've felt like slight panic because really the answer to them is, I don't really know. I don't know at all. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to try and uh, approach answering them. I'm going to do that by uh, telling you two stories. One is the story of my body. And the other is the story of my project dance machine, which in a way is my body outside of my body. So, <clears throat> my body. I'm a dancer, choreographer, dramaturge, and teacher. I make dances. I help others make dances. My materials are space, time, and the human body. My instrument is my body. My body is a collection of my history, my politics, and my desires, embedded in a complex organization of bones, tissue, and nerves. It fills me with wonder, even as it brings me occasionally to the brink of despair with its limitations. I was born in what is now called Malaysia, a former British colony with a complicated set of socio-political realities. I grew up part of a Chinese minority, standing in the interstices of numerous languages, cultures, ethnicities, histories, and imperfect narratives of all of the above. This part of the world has a long histories of cultures meeting, mixing, and fighting. When I immigrated to Canada in 1988, these complexities were then transposed onto the complexity of the Canadian settler colonial state with its ongoing displacement of indigenous peoples from their land and culture. As an immigrant, I confront and grapple with my role in the settler colonial machine. So I acknowledge that we are here on unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territory. You know, it took me almost 20 years after arriving here as an immigrant to learn to say those names. When I reflected on why, I realized that it was because I didn't see those names as often as the name of Captain Vancouver. I didn't hear them as often. And so by making this acknowledgement, I'm putting it again into space. And in doing that, I'm trying to remember where I am. I'm trying to remember that I have the privilege of living, singing, and dancing here even though, even as the people whose territory I'm on have had their own singing and dancing threatened, sometimes silenced by the state whose passport I now carry. Lately, I've been telling people that I'm a choreographer of conversations. 
As I see it, choreography is the organization of bodies in time and space. I long to make the simplest, <laughs> the simplest of dances. Talking about dance always makes me cry, but uh, don't panic. Um, <clears throat> so I long to make the simplest of dances. My favorite definition of dance at the moment comes from my friend and colleague, Zab Mabungu. She said, dance is learning to be with what you do not know about yourself and about the other. But it seems to me that before we can get to that simplicity, there are many things to unpack about what we carry in our bodies, and about our multiple understandings of time and space. This requires, amongst other things, conversation. And different conversations require different organizations of bodies in time and space. In the last few years, I have initiated and facilitated um, conversations such as the Talking Thinking Dancing Body, which is currently being facilitated, co-facilitated by Sidero Rodriguez and Justine Chambers. Uh, something called Teaching Wildness, which is around um, pedagogy uh, and how we might bring consent culture into our classrooms. How we might uh, teach without compliance as a default value. Um, and then there are conversations that are embedded in actual performances like Dance Machine, which is not, well, the performances happen, and The Things I Carry, which is a solo that I developed um, recently. These choreographies have sprung out of my need to consider dance and performance without ignoring the world it happens in. If we believe that dance is capable of taking on complex matters, then we must learn to speak about dance in relation to complex matters. We must learn to speak about our bodies in relation to complex matters, and we must learn to speak the truth of our bodies. It is easy to dismiss dance as something frivolous, and toothless, because we live in a culture that does not celebrate dance as an inherent birthright. We live in a culture where dance is not seen as a responsibility. But it is useful to remember that the first thing governments will do to control people is to stop them from dancing, from moving. This is true in Malaysia, where one is not allowed to get up and dance when at a concert. And in fact, I grew up, uh, when I was growing up in Malaysia, I grew up at a time when Chinese people were not allowed to perform the lion dance in public for fear that it would incite racial unrest. And this fact of uh, governments stopping you from moving was also true in Canada during the potlatch ban from 1885 to 1951 which made it illegal for the First Nations in this part of the world to organize themselves, to transmit whole body knowledge and wisdom through their singing and dancing. Between 2014 and 2015, I was part of a Canada-EU choreographic research project called Migrant Bodies, where a group of us artists uh, from these uh, traveled to five different cities in Canada and Europe, Vancouver, Montreal, 
Paris, Zagreb, and Bassano del Grappa. Uh, we went and, uh, from one city to another, ostensibly to research and reflect on the notion um, of the migrant body. When the project was in Vancouver, we met with uh, Margaret Grenier and her son Nigel. Margaret and Nigel are dancers, and they are Gitsan. They actually um, are part, uh, the company is called the Dancers of Damla Hamid, and just last weekend they uh, put on the, their annual Coastal First Nations uh, dance festival. It's at the Museum of Anthropology, and if you've never been to this festival, I really encourage you to go. Margaret talked about her family and their efforts in keeping alive their songs and dances over time. As the potlatch band came and went, as new technologies replaced old technologies, and as the political structures around them changed. Margaret spoke of her grandmother, who at the age of 80 had bought a reel-to-reel -reel machine, new technology at that time, and probably took all of her life savings, in order to store the family songs and dances, their belonging, their belongings for future generations. Margaret said you could hear the sadness in her voice, because despite her hope, despite her acts of resistance, her grandmother was truly afraid that all these songs and dances would be lost forever. And I thought about time. I thought about our bodies like boats, carrying information from the past into the future. but also with the capacity to carry the present into the past. Because when I practice a form, whether it's martial arts or a dance form, I feel like I'm in conversation with my teachers and their teachers and their teachers' teachers. Boats, kayaks, canoes, Fairies. Up to 60% of the adult human body is made of water. We are systems of water. We live in systems of water. Rivers, lakes, oceans, water. I invite you to take a moment to taste the water in your mouth. Swallow your saliva. Feel it move down your throat. If you like, close your eyes. I like to <clears throat> imagine my eyes, my eyeballs melting. And as my eyeballs melt, they can meet the fluid in my mouth and they can both travel together down my throat into my belly. And 
and I can go with them and feel my sitting bones or if I'm sitting in a chair you can feel your sitting bones down my legs into my feet if you like you can say taste the sound of water in your mouth say water 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 say it in any language you like water low or whisper just to hear or feel the breath move past your vocal cords aqua agua voda my mother tongue is hokkien and the word for water is tui in Vancouver, where Cantonese has traditionally been the dialect spoken, it's shui, 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 shui. And Mandarin, this new flux of immigration from the mainland and Taiwan, shui. The Malay word for water is air. A few years ago, uh, you might remember in the news, a boatload of Rohingya refugees from Burma arrived on the shores of Malaysia, starving and thirsty. Initially, the Malaysian government sent them back out to sea, back out to die from hunger and thirst. Sadly, quite a few Malaysians didn't think this was a problem. My friend, the Malaysian playwright Huzir Sulaiman, wrote this. Your ancestors came here on a boat too. You Bugis, Minangkabau, Javanese, Hadrami. You sons and daughters of Mysore, Ceylon, Kerala, Punjab, Sin. You who are Cantonese, Hokkien, Teochew, Hakka, Futao. That is your great grandfather out there. A little boy, silent with thirst burning under the sea sky. They are not them. They are us. When I think of water, I think of rain. When I think of rain, I think of clouds. And when I think of clouds, I think of Joni Mitchell. I'm going to try this, and you can join me if you know the words. Rows and flows of angel hair, and ice cream castles in the air, and feathered canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way. But now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on everyone. So many things I could have done, but clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down, and still somehow it's cloud illusions I recall. 
I really don't know clouds at all. As a teacher of somatic approaches to voice and movement, I spend a lot of time bringing people's attention to the sensation of gravity and to their breath. To be in a question of how our bodies are affected by the things that most people take for granted. But our bodies are also affected by other invisible things. They are affected by our relationship to power and hegemony, to patriarchy, to white supremacy. Our bodies have multiple relationships to colonialism, both here on Turtle Island and in places where some of us come from. We each carry complex histories which may contain trauma, loss, rage, grief, alongside more pleasant sensations like joy and love. As an artist who works with my body as my instrument, I feel a responsibility to understand the full range of my instrument. As a teacher and choreographer, I feel the responsibility to create a space where it is possible for the whole instrument to be present. This must include all the things that give us pleasure, as well as the things that make us uncomfortable, our yeses and our noes. And we must learn to negotiate for the intimacy that we want, not endure an intimacy that is imposed upon us. This seems important not just for life, but also for art. Because the second half of Zab's statement is this, dance is intimacy. And if that is the case, then I want a dance that I've negotiated for not a dance that has been imposed upon me. But what does it mean to dance? Why do I call myself a choreographer? I have many questions and conflicts about dance as an art form. I love it and I hate it. I love it because I believe, I believe in dance as a practice of the body that connects human beings to the world around them, both the world they know and the world they don't know. I hate it because as an art form, concert dance, dance is mired in the power structures and hierarchies of capitalist anxieties and consumption, and often seems impotent to challenge the assumptions of this world. When you are just beginning to dance, as a young dancer, it is joyous. You discover the cocktail of pleasure that is released when you allow yourself to move to music when you allow yourself to listen to another body and follow where it leads you, when you discover things and sensations about yourself that you didn't know were there before. But soon that joy encounters judgment from yourself, from teachers, from peers. Soon that joy becomes conflated with notions of success, or worse, meaning-making. And the longer you stay in the business of dancing for a living, the harder it is to find that simple joy of dancing. It might be tempting to say that everything that isn't joyful is not dancing, that dancing for success isn't dancing, that dancing to survive isn't dancing, but it is not so simple. 
when we look outside the narrow confines of concert dance, we notice that we dance to be with others. We dance to bring rain. We dance to seduce. We dance as an offering or a plea to the divine. We dance often to lose ourselves. We dance to join with something bigger than us. But if we lose ourselves, then how do we know we still exist? While creating a solo on James Ganam a few years ago, I asked him, he, a beautiful dancer who was trained in ballet since the age of 11 or something, I asked him why classical ballet gestures and movement didn't show up in his improvisations. He said something to the effect of he couldn't tell if the pleasure of movement was really his or if they were the pleasure of his teachers or of the audience, his judges. I'm eternally grateful to James for this raw and heartbreaking honesty because everything he said can be extrapolated to other parts of my life, my relationship to food, to music, to sex. Like the vice principal at my son's high school grad said, you are who you are because of other people. Yet, I am not other people. My colleague, Donya Metzger, she also teaches voice, she says, how can we join another without merging with them? So with all these questions in my mind and body, Dance Machine, my project, came into existence. <clears throat> um, I'm going to tell you the story of Dance Machine through a bunch of uh, photos. So this is the Dance Machine. It is 64 pieces of bamboo, uh, the long bamboo in the center, attached by hot pink rope to pulleys uh, on a disc in the center, it's a copper disc, and then extending out to the edges of the frame. And the other end of the long bamboo are bamboo counterweights. I started this... Uh, The process of Dance Machine actually started in 2009, so it's been a really long part, a large part of my life. Uh, of course, when I started in 2009, I had no idea uh, I was going to make a Dance Machine or anything. I was mostly curious about the relationship between uh, my body and objects. Um, my practice uh, then and a little bit now uh, is, has a lot of qigong in it, comes from my martial arts training, so uh, working with energy, qi energy. Um, and <clears throat> mostly I shared it with uh, other people who practice with their bodies, with dancers and actors. And I was curious um, if, if I shared the work, this energy moving work, with an artist who didn't work with her body primarily, but with objects, if somehow some kind of uh, uh, 
what's the word, um, alchemy could happen, if we could turn energy into matter. So I, uh, I worked with a woman named Alexandra Berthaud. She's from Paris, and I, I worked with her because uh, she worked on the project that I'd done before, and I kind of fell in love with her. Uh, anyway, the, this is the, the, the proposition was that she spent a week with me, basically they took it doing class with me, and then she would go home and respond to the sensations that came up in her body with uh, stuff that she made. Um, this is not what she made. This is another research project around objects and matter that I did in Malaysia. But Alexandra made um, this kind of stuff, fabric things knitted and sort of embedded in the um, weavings and, and knittings were objects that mattered to me that I had collected over time. Um, and then I was going to collect all these uh, objects that she made and basically live with them and then see how my body responded to these objects. So it's kind of like uh, energy, matter, matter, energy kind of uh, question. Um, at some point during that year, I took the objects into the studio along with uh, Justine Chambers, who had been working a lot with uh, Fishing Line at that time. So she was very willing to help me uh, hang stuff from the ceiling um, and play around with uh, what it brought up in space and our bodies and time. <clears throat> um, Around the same time, I was also uh, involved with Stephen Hill, who then, his company was Leaky Heaven Circus, and now it's called uh, Fight With A Stick. Uh, Stephen invited me to be part of a research project around hunger and thirst, around the raft of the Medusa, around consumption. Uh, and we went to Armstrong to the Caravan Theater, and play theater games. <laughs> um, I was also really interested in working with uh, Stephen because he, his training is in clown, and one of my biggest desires is to be funny, um, but I, I constantly fail at that. Uh, and also, I always wondered why dancers were not funny. Um, and one of the conversations I remember having with um, Stephen was, that uh, he said, the clown is always political. Uh, the clown needs hierarchy. I think the same can be said of dance. Dance is always political, and dance in some way needs some kind of uh, hierarchy to exist in, or has. Um, So I uh, joined Stephen at, um, in, at the Caravan Theatre Farm in the middle of nowhere near Armstrong. Uh, and one day he took us to the, uh, um, this shop with a whole bunch of junk. 
And he said, okay, you guys have two hours to build me two machines that somehow speak to the idea of hunger and thirst. And my first thought was, fuck, I'm just a dancer. I can't play around with stuff, with objects and junk. Uh, and I felt like I was in some kind of reality TV show where at the end of the day, all our junk, it was like junkyard wars or something, would be like compared to each other's. Anyway, I, I made two machines that I was very proud of. One was uh, this. I know it's very ugly, but you know, I had two hours and I had to use what was there. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I kind of um, connected these pieces of bamboo and, and, and pulleys and attached my hand to my head and my legs to this whole thing. And, and the proposition I had at the end was I had a piece of bread in one hand and a glass of wine in the other. And if I turn my head to drink or eat, my, the, the hand that I was turning to would move away. So there was always this uh, surrounded by plenty, but still starving and hungry. <laughs> Um, and then the other, uh, and, then, and, then, and then I could actually dance um, from this need to eat and drink, and then fail also, uh, because failure is part of being clown. And then the other machine I uh, invented was this headdress, which uh, was a bowl of water with straw, like a bunch of straw sticking out of it, so it was like the Medusa. Um, and as I, and the idea was I would stand with flour in my hand, and as I reached to, to tip water and to drink, the water would always just drop um, beyond my reach. I was super proud of those machines, but they didn't end up going anywhere other than uh, just that day. And when that project was over, um, the, those machines kind of stuck around with me. And I went back to Stephen and I said, how about we, um, we work, collaborate on a, on a series of contraptions. <clears throat> um, and so we did. Uh, we brought in Jesse Garlick, who's uh, an architect and set designer. And we worked on um, the notion of contraption as something that was kind of more than necessary, so a little unnecessary. And then working with the notion of failure, like how could we build a machine that essentially failed all the time. And that uh, the failure that was built into the machine would be the thing that um, helped us become clowns and dancers. Uh, um, so we made these basically uh, cardboard parts that we could um, put together. There was something, yeah, moving parts and tasks and things. And eventually we thought it would be cool to like actually occupy like a, a, a site in the city, like a construction site and, and start to build 
this building out of cardboard that kind of failed constantly and built by dancers and clowns. But it was too hard to work with uh, bureaucracy, the city and stuff like that, or to find property. Uh, but anyway, those, uh, those ideas stuck around. That, that the question of uh, my relationship with objects, our relationship with objects and failure. Um, and then around this time also, I was uh, uh, given a commission by the Dance Center and the Canadian Music Center to make a piece. I was one of 10 choreographers and we were supposed to make a piece to a piece of music. Uh, and the theme was Vancouver, this was 2010. Um, <laughs> and I was given this piece of music by um, Barry Truax, which uh, was really dense. Um, he's like uh, famous in the world of electronic music for developing this way of changing sound so that you don't lose the, the density or something. But anyway, he gave me this piece of music which actually infuriated me um, all summer when I was listening to it and, and living with it because it sounded so exotic. There were all these Asian gongs and, and um, it, it drove me crazy. And, and the more I listened to it, the more angry I got. But I had to make a piece. Um, and so I, I, I was in Malaysia over that time. And when I came back, I, I called Barry and I said, listen, uh, you have to talk to me about this piece of music because it's driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> so we met and he told me um, that he, uh, this piece of music, I suddenly forget the name, it's, it's quite long, uh, but was based on the I Ching. So based on uh, um, the Taoist the uh, Book of Changes. Now I consider myself a Taoist because I practice martial arts and uh, the martial arts I practice, you know, Chinese martial arts is mostly all based on Taoist principles. Um, and I've read the Tao Te Ching and Chuang Tzu and all those things. Um, and so as Barry talked to me about how he used the I Ching, uh, how he references the I Ching with this music, in my mind, I was rolling my eyes. And I was thinking, you are such a Taoist tourist. But later, I realized that, of course, in many ways, I too am a bit of a tourist because um, I'm Chinese, but I don't read or write Chinese. So my uh, knowledge of Taoism has come through translations. I probably read all the translations that Barry read himself. Um, and so I, I went with this and to Chinatown, and I, I went to uh, and decided to buy things like I was a tourist. And I, I bought all these ritual objects, um, spirit paper, jaw sticks, uh, yarrow sticks for the I Ching. Um, and then I, I played with them in the studio. And I created this um, solo basically where I'd throw stuff in the air 
and then all the stuff falls in uh, this sort of chance operated, creates a chance operated environment that then uh, I have to deal with. And that was my way of finding a dance out of it. <clears throat> I throw about a thousand pieces of spirit paper. Spirit paper is what Taoists do. They burn it for their ancestors uh, at important moments in the year. Um, so I throw about a thousand pieces of paper in the air. Uh, and on each piece of paper I had handwritten to my ancestors and to the ancestors of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh on whose territory I dance. This was my way of uh, inscribing in my body um, these names and to remember these odd ways of writing, the unfamiliar to me ways of writing. I thought if I just wrote them over and over again that I could better remember that. Uh, what that meant was for about two months leading up to the solo, I would spend a couple of hours each day just writing over and over again. And that became kind of a really uh, meditative experience. Oops. Um, and when I performed that solo, uh, it was really the first time that it became so clear to me that I could dance for non-humans as well. You know, when uh, I was growing up, uh, my, my family was Catholic, but because we were Chinese Catholics, my grandmother would occasionally sneak off to temple um, to give offerings just in case. Um, but, and she would also sneak off to, to see uh, shamans because she was like, she was addicted to gambling. And so uh, she would visit shamans to get insight into what number to buy at the lottery. Uh, when I was, uh, when I got my period for the first time, she threw eating sticks on the floor and I had to like jump over them back and forth, and she would pick out a stick each time so that she would get a collection of numbers that she could then gamble with. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the whole idea, I grew up, being Catholic, um, I grew up thinking of, of these rituals where you go to temple and, and shake um, the joysticks and, and burn paper as um, superstition, as things that not very clever people do. And I think I, I continue to hold that in my mind, even as I, uh, as I read um, classical Taoist texts. Uh, I always imagine that, oh, this is, this is like the philosophy of Taoism, and then the, the, uh, the superstitious practices around Taoism was uh, less sophisticated. But when I, Finally, did um, everything when I did the solo everything. I realized that the 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 doing of the thing, the shaking of the jaw sticks, of the yarrow sticks, the throwing of the paper. Oh, and then I smoke a cigarette at the end. Um, all these things of of shaking and breathing did something to my body, and made me um, 
exist in the world in a slightly different way if I listened to objects really carefully. So, now we go back to the dance machine. I tell you these, these things because the, uh, you know, like uh, all these projects kind of happen around the same time and, and uh, they don't really, ha they're not really in their own lane. Sometimes it's very porous, the, the, the walls between one lane and the other, one stream of project. Anyway, uh, Justine and I had rigged up all these things in the room and, um, and it was then that I started to imagine, oh, I, I think I want a costume that's attached to my body and attached to space so that if I move, the costume moves and the space around me moves. And when the space around me moves, maybe the people who are in the space with me will move also. And then all I have to do is follow them, be in conversation with them, move with them, and then I'm already dancing with people. Um, but Justine and I know nothing about rigging. We were just MacGyvering with fishing line and very basic eye hooks. Um, and so we brought in Jesse, who had worked with me on contraption. And Jesse was uh, inspired by my solo, by the, the uh, aesthetics of the solo, and proposed bamboo. And he um, initially had an idea that the, there would be maybe 10 pieces of bamboo attached to this uh, disc, and, we, and it would be suspended. And he brought in like a few pieces of bamboo and kind of rigged up the first sort of prototype but I said to him, if you're going to be inspired by that solo, then you have to have 64 pieces of bamboo, not 10. Because 64 is the number of uh, configurations that come up when the two trigrams of the I Ching meet. I, I should have found a, a slide with a picture of the hexagrams. But um, anyway, 64 is an important number in, in Taoism. <clears throat> so, so then the 64 pieces of bamboo happened and, uh, and um, he would come and bring bamboo and then Justine and I would play around with it and, and figure out how we wanted it to sit. Uh, I decided very quickly that I needed the bamboo to be on the floor and not suspended. Um, and, then, and then we played with different things and then Jesse would respond. So it was really all three of us playing together and actually um, meeting the material with our bodies that the, uh, the sculpture kind of grew. Um, and over time, uh, actually, uh, I'm going to read to you what I wanted the dance machine to do before we started building it. It seemed kind of impossible. Uh, but but I, I got this out of, uh, I, today I went back to uh, one of my grant applications and found this. So my, the dance machine had to have a series of everyday tasks that are required to be accomplished, such as the gathering or storage of seeds, for example. 
The process will develop movement scores or distill principles that address how tasks evolve into dance. For example, is it through rhythm? And the other thing that it needed to do was the movement of these tasks must affect the environment. Can the machine transmit the principle or score from the body of the dancer into the body of the viewer? How can rhythm travel through space and what happens to it? The audience must be surrounded by the environment and will be invited into the dance through the movement around them. The rainforest geography of Vancouver must be referenced. The dance machine must state that it was built on unceded Coast Salish territory. And so, um, I'll come back to these. Uh, this is the dance machine. <clears throat> now there's going to be a, a bunch of dance machine porn for you to watch. Uh, it changes shape. There's cedar on the floor. So people uh, change the shape and people are organized by the machine. This is actually, oh yeah. This was in Ottawa where a propeller dance company, which is um, all abilities dance company in Ottawa came in and spent a couple of hours with me and Natalie Gan in the dance machine. I sort of led a workshop and then they, they just ended up playing. And this is a kind of stop action kind of thing. What is it? No, time lapse thing of a moment in Montreal where uh, two young girls under the age of 10 came in and essentially took over. And when they realized that they could boss us around, that they could um, play with the microphones, they, they would ask for change of lighting, they would ask for sound effects that we had to like go on YouTube to find. And they stood there and, and told stories for two hours and, and made other people cry. <laughs> and so really in that instance, the, the artist was just facilitating play. And now I'm gonna leave you uh, with an image of the nervous system. Um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> um, so we have some time for some questions. Yeah. Ah, the two questions. <laughs> that it's a big, yeah, those big test. Why is talking about dancing 
because uh, deep longing for it to be simple. Um, and I guess there's always heartbreak because there's always the possibility that I will not be able to dance, that I will not have the dance that I want. <laughs> you know what I do sometimes? Uh, instead of you sitting here thinking about whether uh, you have questions or not, uh, just take a moment and close your eyes and just reflect or maybe allow the, the things that I've said or shown you to kind of land. And then now just say words back into the room. They can be one word, two words. You don't need to make full sentences. Like what do you remember seeing, hearing, feeling? Go. River. Fitzmorris. Frivolous and toothless. Responding. Peace. Privilege. What's that? Hierarchy. Systems, objects, and the other. The body as a boat. Desire, autonomy, alchemy. And feel free to jump in with your own thoughts if they come up as you hear words. Brain and the floor. Brain on the floor. <laughs> What melting? Eyes melting. Breath. Addicted to gambling. Period. Memory. Ritual. Um, cool. <laughs> um, do you have answers for these questions?
Hmm. Um, oh, well, when you say um, the other as in a, another human being, and then when you say an object, immediately I think of um, something like, uh, say, a stone. <clears throat> I think the difference between me and a stone are pretty big. So it seems easier and safer almost to join the stone and know that I won't merge with the stone. Uh, but then when we talk about objects that uh, give us, that we interact with a little bit more, that talk back to us, like our computer or our phone, um, yeah, I think there's a similar difficulty in knowing when you've joined and when you've merged. This joining, merging thing, uh, I think is in um, the language of somatic experiencing, uh, which has the same lineage as the voice work that I teach, Fitzmaurice voice work. It goes back to the work by Wilhelm Reich on bioenergetics. So there's a lot of uh, thinking or awareness uh, or trying to uh, understand the nervous system that, and the role it plays in our interactions with one another, in our interactions in the world. And for me, say merging, you know, well, um, in my own experience as a, a racialized woman, uh, an Asian woman, <laughs> uh, that certainly I've grown up with pressure to merge into the other, to give up my. Uh, parts of myself in order to be with another. Sometimes it's to survive. <laughs> I've been joking that I feel like I've learned to uh, be in the world, um, to see the world through the eyes of a white man. I, I see other people through the eyes of a white man. I see other women. I see other men. I see other human bodies. I see people of color. I see myself through the eyes of a white man. And so the work of uh, undoing that is <laughs> painful and difficult. Why is it a white man? Mm-hmm. going back in time as a response to right how do you do that <laughs> hmm
Yeah, because dancing, um, dancing has codes too. There are lots of codes in dancing. Sometimes uh, we, we, I think most, most examples of dancing all over the world uh, have codes and have very uh, rigorous boundaries. And so there's, there's a kind of submission to those codes or those uh, bond, that kind of bondage. But I think within the container of those things, you, you know, it's only in bondage that you can feel some kind of freedom. <laughs> You like dancing water? In water. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the dance machine, um, I, some people, like Zab Mukbungu, uh, doesn't like the word machine in it. Mm. But I, I kind of, uh, I, I like the word machine because uh, our association with the word machine is, you know, so caught up with uh, the Industrial Revolution and, and that kind of, and somehow has taken on those ideas of uh, progress or expansion. Uh, so generally when we think of machines, they're machines that impose something on the planet, in some, you know, the railway across uh, the continent, or, or, or something that doesn't change and, and, and changes the, the thing that it's on because it's so demanding. And I, I wanted to imagine uh, what it would be like to have a machine uh, that didn't grow up or, or alongside the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> the British Empire. Um, and so I'm curious about a machine that can adjust to where it is. Um, and so how the dance machine, um, oh, in some ways the dance machine, it, it, it's, a, it's a thing. But because, uh, so the changeables are, are basically the protocols that I have in place in the dance machine. So um, in each place that it's set up, I invite uh, different groups of artists, preferably from uh, different disciplines. <clears throat> and to come together, uh, and meet in the dance machine. Uh, we commit to spending, say, three hours a day together for the few days leading up to the public uh, coming in. Uh, and then outside of those three hours, the artists can just play in the dance machine uh, whenever they want um, to research, to basically figure out their relationship to it on their own terms. And then in the three hours together, we, we play together, we talk, we interrogate each other what we see. Uh, because um, 
um, there's a set of instructions that uh, I give to both the artists and the audience. And this set of instructions, uh, basically a guide for you to interact with the machine. Can you change shape? Uh, can you use what is there? You occupy center, you relinquish center at some point. Value the margins, find rhythm, and don't be a jerk. A couple of things that come uh, from like 10 principles of permaculture. <laughs> like use what is there, value the margins. Uh, where was I going with this? What was the question again? Right, right. Yeah, hopefully it's a, a softer machine. Um, but people are reticent sometimes. I find, because it actually uh, looks kind of dangerous. It's very beautiful. Um, but it looks, and it can be dangerous. <laughs> We've had people like hurl themselves onto the bamboo and it's broken. And we're just like, Thank God, weird splinters didn't go up people's asses. <laughs> oh, Ray. Um, so following up on, on your discussion of the machine, and like the idea that it's like there could be a machine that is um, some sort of like alternate history from the from like post-industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. I have zero interest in Bitcoin currency, but yes, but Ray and I have uh, eavesdropped at uh, blockchain meetings. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, um, it, it strikes me that your interest in like the machinic uh, and like maybe the technological is neither, I suppose, like uh, knee-jerkedly like technophobic, but it's also not like technophilic either. Um, and I'm very interested in your interest, you know, in these, uh, well, I'm interested in how humans organize themselves. I'm a choreographer, so I, I'm inherently uh, I'm interested in how bodies are organized. Um, and so, with block, you know, te technology organizes our bodies, and they change our bodies. Uh, you know, uh, our postures from sitting all day at a computer, that, that affects your nervous system. That affects... Uh, I read somewhere that some people, uh, just from sitting all day, because your, your zoas uh, is in this one position the whole time and, and tense, you, your body starts to believe that it's um, going through some kind of traumatic experience 
like it's being, you're, you're kind of in a fight or flight state. And so you could actually be experiencing PTSD just from sitting all day at an office. Mm. So I'm interested in how technology changes our shape, uh, us as individuals, but also us as a society. Uh -huh. Just because it's like, a, I have a shirt that has like a quotation of yours on it. Uh, I didn't know it was by you. Um, but uh, it says something like, I am not interested in the future of dance, I'm interested in the future of bodies. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it possible to kind of like um, um, say more about what you mean by the future? Like, uh, since we're talking about like the technological and the machine, and, uh, is it possible to imagine if that's even a pr productive thing? And Mm. Um, like what you, what you might be thinking about in terms of the future of bodies or the future of bodies or something. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't worry about the future of dance because I think as long as we have a body that is functional, it will dance. So I worry that we will go into the future with, with bodies that can be present in the world, that can see, feel, uh, hear, you know, that is, is available to all the senses as, as much as we have them. Um, yeah, like, what does it mean to be awake and present in the world? Whether, yeah, you know, we, we've talked about VR, say. And for me, I'm less interested in what happens, like, in the VR, the virtual reality, but I'm more interested, for example, in the relationship between the person who's in VR and the person outside of it, like that relational experience or that relational uh, organization interests me. Does that answer your question? It's very interesting. <laughs> okay, time for maybe one or two more questions. We can adjourn to the uh, railway club. Ah. <laughs> one of my uh, mantras. Uh, it comes from Glenn Coulthard, the, he's an activist, academic, he's Dene Yellow Knives or something. Um, and it goes something like, land is a relationship based on the, re based on Land is a relationship based on agreements or something between you and humans and non-humans, and the non-humans that constitute the land itself. Um, and somehow that feels like a really juicy kind of a manifesto for me when I think about uh, being a choreographer 
uh, uh, moving through the world, my relationship with other humans as well as non-humans, and that they are part of the same continuum. I don't know if one is more important than the other. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>